Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. You know, it's interesting when you read books, especially biblical books, how the Holy Spirit of God, as He inspired the author to write it, He highlights certain things at certain times. We know the human author or penman who wrote down the book of Acts was Dr. Luke, one of the men who was one of the early leaders in the church, one of these men who served alongside of Paul, one who wrote the whole book of Luke talking about the story of Jesus Christ. And as he records for us the different events taking place on Paul's missionary journeys, it seems to me as if in some of the earlier journeys he takes more time to talk about more of the places where Paul is visiting. But now, as Paul is coming to the end of his third and final missionary journey, Luke is really speeding up in his description and he's really highlighting only a few major events. Today, what we're going to look at is a message that Paul shared with the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And as you'll see, this is the last time Paul is ever with them face to face. This is a really important conversation that Paul has with the elders of the church at Ephesus because it's the last time they're ever going to see him. And he's imparting to them really important truth. He begins, the message we'll look at this morning, at talking to them about how he has ministered among them and to them during his time with them. And next week, Lord willing, unless the Lord takes us home to heaven in the meantime or some other big event happens, we will look at Paul's challenge to them on how they need to be taking care of themselves in the ministry that God has given to them. But this week, I want you to look with me at this example that Paul describes for the church at Ephesus. Because here, this example, I think, is so helpful for us. Because the reality is this. God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for every single one of us. There's not a single person that's ever lived that God said, well, that person doesn't matter. I don't have a purpose for their life. Now, there's been lots of people that didn't follow God with their lives. There's been lots of people who have wasted the time that they've been given. There's been lots of people who have served God for a period of their life and then at other periods in their life have gone their own direction. But Paul here, I think, gives for us a wonderful model or an example of what it looks like to serve together with a purpose, to serve together on purpose. I think a lot of times... People tend to live their lives just wandering around in the spiritual wilderness. Sometimes they're doing good things. Sometimes they're not doing good things. Sometimes they're ministering to others. Sometimes they're living very selfishly. And as Paul is leaving them behind, he knows he's never going to see them again. So if the ministry is going to carry on effectively in Ephesus, Paul knew that it was these leaders who were going to carry it forward. You know, the ministry is bigger than you. While God calls you to serve in a certain place, God has many other people who in time will fill your shoes 
and maybe even go farther than you were able to go. This life is not lived to bring, should not be lived to bring glory to ourselves, but rather to take the truth that God gives to us and to pass that truth down to somebody else. That's the process we call of, of making disciples. That's what Jesus did. And those men went out and turned the world upside down. That's what Paul did in Ephesus. In fact, if you were to read and study his time in Ephesus, you would go back to the beginning of chapter 19 in Acts. And you would see there how Paul, when he first arrived in Ephesus, he found 12 men. Sort of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He found 12 men who believed in God, but they didn't know Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people like that today, by the way. A lot of people today name the name of God, know a lot about God, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never confessed their sin to Him. They just assume, well, I know about God, I'm a pretty good person, and as long as I do more good than bad, then everything's going to work out okay for me in the end. But Paul, when he found these guys and began to share with them the message of Jesus Christ, they trusted in Him, they received the Holy Spirit of God, but Paul didn't leave them. He continued to minister to them, to continued to teach them, continued to live life with them. And in time, as we looked at over the last few weeks, Paul saw the ministry in Ephesus grow and flourish. Luke describes it for us this way. He says, the word of God grew and prevailed. In fact, it says that in time, every person in and around Ephesus heard the truth about Jesus Christ. That's a pretty incredible claim. In fact, the ministry in Ephesus was so impactful that it changed the economy of idolatry in that city. Ephesus was known for its worship of the pagan god Diana. And all kinds of horrible, wicked things went on in that temple as there were temple prostitutes, as there were people worshiping their false god through all kinds of lustful and immoral practices. And people would travel. In fact, the temple to the goddess Diana was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's written about in the history books. And people would come from all over to visit Ephesus just to go see this temple, just to participate in all of the illicit practices that took place there. And before they would go home, just like you on your vacation, they would buy souvenirs. They would buy little idols made in the same image as Diana to take home with them to be able to show to all their friends, hey, look where I went. I visited the temple Diana. They would probably put it on their shelf at home and worship that idol. And the ministry of the gospel had been so effective in Ephesus that those silversmiths who made idols were losing business. They, their, their, their economy was struggling because of the gospel. In the right way, their economy was struggling. In fact, so many people trusted Christ who had formerly been idolaters and practicing witchcraft that the Bible tells us in chapter 19 of Luke, they gathered all of their books full of witchcraft together and these books were worth 50,000 pieces of silver and they put them in a giant pile and they lit it on fire. What an incredible, incredible testimony to the power of the gospel to change lives. 
And when I read things like that, don't ever tell me that God can't change your life. Don't ever tell me that there's a place that's too dark where God cannot work. Don't ever say, well, there's people over there and I don't know how God could ever change their life. Because if God could change the lives of the people in Ephesus, God can change anybody's life. He can change your life this morning as well. So this is the ministry that had been going on in Ephesus. I mean, an incredible, exciting ministry. Not always easy. We'll read again about some of the challenges here in a moment. No ministry over time is easy. There's always a lot of tears involved, a lot of struggle, but an incredible ministry nonetheless. And so Paul's meeting with these leaders for the last time. I say all that just to set the stage. I want you to understand how important this meeting was to Paul and these other leaders. They, they were going through their final goodbye on this earth. Somebody who was very special to Paul. So I'm going to read, I'm just going to read kind of the whole story here to you of what we're going to focus on this morning. I say the whole story, then that'd be the whole book of Acts. I'm just going to read verses 13 to 27 here this morning of chapter 20. And I want you to follow along here. And then we'll go back and look at it together. Verse 13, And we went before to ship and sailed to Assos. They're intending to take in Paul, for so had he, so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. Now, if you are here last week, and some of the men told me earlier they worked hard this week and they were tired this morning, so they might fall asleep. So if we have a Eutychus here this morning, we'll pray that they don't die in the service. If they do, we'll pray that God will raise them back to life. But uh, after Paul preaches to, till midnight, after Eutychus is raised back to life, the next day Paul gets up and he walks 20 miles to the city of Assos. He's, he's on a mission He's headed back towards Jerusalem. And so they meet up with Paul there. And they took him in. They came to Mightylene, verse 14. Verse 15, and we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived to Samos and tarried at Tregillium. And the next day we came to Miletus. He's moving here. He's traveling from town to town. We don't have a map up here on the wall to show you. But if you looked this up on the map, you would see he's moving from city to city, heading from east, I'm sorry, from west, going back east towards Jerusalem. And it says, For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day at Pentecost. Paul's in a hurry. He's trying to make Pentecost. This was an important celebration. Do you know why this was so important to Paul? Do you remember what happened at Pentecost? It wasn't Paul preaching, by the way. It was Peter preaching. 3,000 people came to Christ. It was really the, the launch of the church there in Jerusalem. What an incredible beginning that was. So Paul's in, in a hurry to get back there, and he's so in a hurry he doesn't even have time as he's traveling. If you followed this on a map, he bypasses Ephesus. Because remember, Paul had such a close relationship with these people. And you know how it is. If you get stuck with your friends, it might be a while. So he bypasses Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem. But he's not there yet. And it says, and from Miletus, he stops in this city. He sends back to Ephesus and he calls the elders of the church. 
because he's hurrying to get back to Jerusalem, but he really wants to have one last time to meet with the leaders in Ephesus. And he says, and when they were come to him, he said to them, Ye know, elders of Ephesus, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. What a statement. He says, but I've showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And one of my favorite verses in all of Acts is verse 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel. That's good news. What good news? Of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to, rec rec I take you to record this day that I am pure, from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Someone once said, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for the rest of his life. What Paul is doing here, in his final words to the, to the leaders in Ephesus, He's making sure they know how to fish. Yeah. Paul says, I'm not going to be with you anymore. You're going to be carrying on the ministry that God has begun. And you know, it's a challenging thing to carry on a ministry or a work that someone else before you has started. Have you ever been hired to work a job that someone else did really well at before you did? And you, and you say, well, I got some big shoes to fill. It's a challenge to take over where someone else is leaving off. And that's what Paul's telling these elders in Ephesus. You're going to be carrying on now. And he wants to make sure that they know the truth. You know, the reason this ministry in Ephesus was so effective over the long term was the fact that Paul, when he went there at the beginning, he found those those 12 men begin to minister to them, teaching and instructing them. Then as they begin to go out and teach others, it was just a process of making disciples who made disciples. It's not because they had a mega church in Ephesus that they were effective. It's not because they had incredible evangelistic campaigns that the ministry in Ephesus was effective. The ministry in Ephesus was effective because they were effective at making disciples 
who made disciples. You know, when you think about the ministry of Jesus Christ, that's why His ministry was effective too. Well, sure, He did miracles. Sure, He fed thousands of people. But who were the ones that turned the world upside down? It wasn't all the people that were fed on the hillside. It was that handful of disciples that when He said, Come, they followed Him. And then they went on and carried on that ministry. Paul here begins by sharing with us his own example of how he ministered among them and uses his example to instruct the leaders at Ephesus on how they are to live. I got five points this morning. They're simple points. But so many people, I'm afraid, myself included sometimes, we tend to wander around a lot, unsure of our purpose sometimes, unsure if we're actually doing the right things. Are we being effective or not? Or am I just sort of wasting my time? In our house, it's sometimes as simple as the chore of making your bed. I mean, be honest. How many of you have ever wondered, why do I make my bed? I'm going to get back in it tonight anyway. If I can, maybe I'll even get a nap in the middle of today. Why bother to make it if I'm just going to mess it up again? I think sometimes people live their spiritual life kind of like, why do I go to all the trouble to go to church? Why do I give? Why do I serve? Why do I do these things? Does it really matter? Does it really make a difference? Does anybody care? I think Paul's helping us with these things this morning. And the first thing he shows us is that you need to know your master. You need to know who you're serving. Notice with me back in verse 19. Paul says, serving the Lord. Paul was really clear on who he was serving. He doesn't say serving the Ephesians. He doesn't say serving the elders of the church. He just says serving the Lord. I wonder this morning, who are you serving? Hey, mother, it's wonderful to serve your family. It's honorable to serve your family. But don't let your family come before the Lord. It's honorable to serve your boss at work and to work and, and do an honest day's work for an honest wage. But if you serve your boss ahead of the Lord, you're serving the wrong thing. So many people can get caught up serving their family, serving their loved ones, serving even their church. You say, we shouldn't serve those things? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I think there should be a priority in our order of service. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. What was He talking about all these things? Well, food, clothing, the necessities of life, taking care of your basic needs. You say, well, aren't those a priority? Absolutely. But there's a priority that's higher than those things. Know your Master. Serve the Lord. I would say it this way, serve the Lord above self. 
Oh, we live in a world that loves to serve themselves. So many people are caught up in serving themselves, right? I make sure I got enough food to eat. After I pass the plate to everybody else, too bad if they don't. I remember working as a camp counselor and they'd bring the plates of food out and we'd have to pass them around. In my first year as a counselor, I was trying to be a great counselor, so I would make sure all the campers had food and then I would eat some. And I realized if I'm not a little bit selfish, I'm not going to eat anything around here. And so I'd dish my plate first and then pass it to them. Was that a good example? No, no. But it's what I did. Because I get hungry sometimes. And I want to take care of myself. If I don't take care of myself, who will? Hey, you know who will? God will. God will. Serve God first, even before yourself. Serve God first, even before you serve others. Serving others is a wonderful thing. And we ought to serve others with our life. But we can go get caught up so busy in our lives serving others that we forget, wait a minute, i got to serve God first. Do you remember those two sisters, Mary and Martha? Martha was busy. She was serving. She was doing lots of good things. But what did Jesus say to her when she got frustrated with Mary for just sitting at the feet of Jesus? Martha, you're busy with much things, with many things, but Mary has chosen the more needful thing, the better thing. See, sometimes serving the Lord is challenging in our society because we value busyness. There's somebody that's busy, that's running from here to there and everywhere. We say, well, that's a person really using their time well. But God didn't call us to busyness. He called us to holiness. He called us to a relationship with Him. And I know your life's busy. My life's busy too. But we get caught up with all the running around and forget, wait a minute. Who's my master? You shouldn't serve yourself first. You shouldn't serve others first. You need to serve God first. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit more here. But very simply... It means taking time to really know Him personally so that you are careful to do what He wants you to do, not just you sort of what you think He wants you to do. Well, I think a lot of people with very good intentions are doing things that they feel are very good. But it's more, well, I, I think God would be pleased with that. Well, do you know God's pleased with that? Well, how do you really know? Well, God has told us in His Word what He wants us to do. And how he wants us to live. Paul was very clear in who his master was. And if these leaders in Ephesus were going to continue forward for the glory of God and for the work of the gospel, they needed to know who their master was too. Because leadership in a church, it can be very easy. Well, I don't know. Who's my master? Is it the people who give given the offering? Is it the people who come to the church? Is it the people that teach Sunday school? Is it the people that have needs? Is it this? Is it that? Is it my own desires of what I want to see happen? No. Who's the head of the church? It's Christ. It's Christ. Know your master. The second thing I believe we can see from Paul's example here of the ministry is that we must be careful to minister in a consistent manner. Go back with me to verse 18. Paul tells them, he says, And when they were come to him, he said to them, 
ye know, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Look again at verse 19. He says, serving the Lord, how? He describes his manner with all humility. He says, with many tears. And he says, and temptations. Humility, tears, and temptations. His manner was consistent. He says, you know, I've been the same way since I got here all the way until now. Through all the seasons, his ministry was consistent. How is it consistent? Well, he describes it as a consistent humility. Consistent humility. Your pride, my pride, is not doing anything positive for the kingdom of God. Only by pride cometh contention, the scripture tells us. Well, I think it ought to be this way. Let God take care of that. I want this. Well, as soon as you interject your, name, your word I in there, it's wrong. What does God want? Paul had to serve with humility. Think about this. He's an apostle. He had seen Christ with his own eyes. He describes that later at the end of this chapter. And yet Paul says, I had to be humble. Who were some of the people that Paul dealt with in Ephesus? Well, he dealt with Jewish people who had an understanding of the Bible and religion and tradition. They had a form of holy living that they were carrying on. And Paul says, well, I was a Pharisee. I knew how to live that life better than they knew how to live that life. But Paul still had to serve with humility. And as he served with humility, he says, I also was serving with tears. With tears. You see, we have to serve with humility. We also have to serve through struggle. Through struggle. Well, Paul, what was there to cry about? What is there to cry about in ministry? Well... You cry about those who walk away from the Lord. You cry about those that you've invested time in who re reject what you're trying to do to serve them. You cry about the physical pain and struggle that it is sometimes to do what you need to do. You cry feeling inadequate for the great work that needs to be accomplished. You say, but I'm just one person. What can I do? Paul said, I served with tears. But he said, I also served through temptation, through trials, through struggle. I would say it this way, served despite opposition. This is the second time in chapter 20 that Paul has mentioned those Jews who lied in, lay in wait for him. He says, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. It can be discouraging when you're trying to do the right thing and people are out to get you for it. Last Sunday night, we kicked off our new growth classes and Jeremiah class and the James class and how to be a better disciple maker class for the adults and the teens are meeting the kids. But in my Jeremiah class, one of the men just looked at me with tears in his face and he said, Pastor, it's just so hard for me to understand why everybody doesn't trust in Jesus. It makes so much sense. Why does the world continue on going their own way, hurting each other and hurting themselves and rejecting 
the truth that's so plain to see. Many tears, many struggles, much opposition. Don't you see we're trying to help you? Paul wrote later on about the ministry to one of his sons in the faith, and he said, he described the ministry this way, as helping those who oppose themselves. That's what happens when you go down to the abortion clinic. You're trying to help those that are opposing themselves. That's what often happens when you're counseling with somebody who's going through a struggle. You're like, come on! You're hurting yourself. This is what the Bible says. Just follow Christ. That's what happens when you're trying to encourage people to trust Christ and follow Him. Don't you see you're opposing yourself? You're hurting yourself? Much tears and much opposition. So Paul's ministry was clear because he knew his master. It was consistent in his manner, but notice it was also consistent in his method how he actually did the ministry. Look at verse 20 and 21. Paul says, I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. In other words, I'm willing to give generously. Ministry will cost you something. Serving others can be expensive to your time, to your finances, to your energy, to what you're doing. They, he said, I gave generously. I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. And he also said, and I've showed you and have taught you. I think that's an interesting phrase there. He doesn't just say, well, I taught you the right stuff. He said, no, I, I showed you what was right. I, I demonstrated it with my life. I wonder if other people were to look at your life, if they would say, what they say matches up with what they do. Their walk and their talk, they're together. They're in line. That's not somebody who just talks a big game about their walk with the Lord, who shows up and pretends they're doing right. No, they're, their life actually backs it up. He says, I've showed you and I've taught you. We need to walk in a way that's consistent with our words. He also said, I taught you publicly and from house to house. Look at the ministry here. No ministry was too small or unimportant. I did the public ministry I also did the private ministry. You know, sometimes we get the idea that only the ministry that people sees is what counts. No, God sees everything you do. He sees when you're trying to minister to somebody through that phone call or that text or that email. He, he sees when you're coming alongside somebody and praying with them or even when you're by yourself praying for them and nobody sees except God. God sees the public ministry. He sees the private ministry. Paul said the ministry isn't about the show. It's about serving God and being faithful to Him. He was consistent in his method. But he also says here he testified both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. No person is unimportant in the ministry. Paul was not prejudiced in his ministry. Using terms like, well, those people, or them over there, or, well, they're just different than us, or you couldn't start a church with people like that, whatever that means. He says, I testify to the Jews and the Gentiles. And you know, each presents their unique challenges. 
to the Jewish religious person who had the outward show, knew all the right terminology, knew the right things to do, but didn't have the right heart, that's a particular challenge. But so is the Gentile, the pagan who worships false gods, who their life looks nothing like your life. They don't even know what the words mean. It's like starting from square one. Those present particular challenges. But all need to hear the truth. It's easy to look at somebody and judge them based on something about their outward appearance or what vehicle they drive or what neighborhood they live in or their educational level or any type of thing our world wants to judge people on. And because of that judgment, we fail to share the truth of the gospel. Paul said, I did it to the Jew and to the Greek. But also, as we see his consistent method, it was consistent in that his message was clearly communicated. Paul details for it very briefly. He says, I testified to the Jews and to the Greeks, what? Repentance towards God and to war and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Two parts, repentance and faith. Some would say two sides of the same coin. Not to get down into the weeds of splitting hairs of how, how God works through all things in salvation. But the message is simple. You need to turn from your sin and you need to trust in Jesus. Do you think sometimes the message that we share to this world is confusing? Paul talked about how he was careful not to know anything among them except for the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was careful to always lead with the gospel. It burdens me when I think that there could be people in our community that would die and go to hell without having heard the message of the gospel from somebody that's a part of this church. I want it to be really hard to go to hell from this area of Houston without at least having had somebody Share Christ with you. His message was really clear. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if what you talk about and how you spend your life, is it clearly communicating the message of the gospel? We wonder why our ministry is not as effective as we'd like it to be. Paul's ministry was consistent in his manner and also in his method. But you know, you can know who your master is. You can be consistent in your ministry, in your methods, in your manners. You can have the right attitude and do everything the right way, but you cannot do this ministry in your own strength. So this message this morning is not, well, we just all need to try harder to serve God. If we stopped here, that might be how it comes across. But Paul emphasizes an extremely important, absolutely vital person that aids us in the ministry. And that's the personal work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 22 and 23. Paul says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Ministry together on purpose 
requires that we know our master, that we minister with a consistent manner, in a consistent method, but also we must depend on the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit of God, we don't have any strength. We don't have any power. We don't have any ability to really impact lives. And I see two specific ways in which Paul talks about his dependence on the Holy Spirit. He says he's depending on the Spirit's leading into the unknown. Do you see it there in verse 22? I go bound in the Spirit under Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. You see, when you walk in obedience to God's Word, in the strength of the Holy Spirit of God, He will lead you into the unknown. And that could be scary. God, why would you put me in this place where I've never been before? God, why would you allow me to have to face situations that I don't know how to handle? God, I'm uncomfortable right now. God is the God of all comfort. Your situation is not necessarily the most comfortable. But He can comfort you even in your trial and tribulation. You see, the Holy Spirit sometimes leads us out into the unknown. What do I mean by that? Well, when you obey God's Word, it means stepping out by faith into what God has said, not knowing exactly what God is going to do in that situation. That's where Paul was. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm bound in the Spirit to go, but I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. There were even some of Paul's good friends. You can read about in other places where he said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, because when you get there, they're going to try to arrest you. But Paul knew the Holy Spirit was directing him to Jerusalem. He said, Paul, it's an unknown. If you only do things that are known in your life, you're not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. Now, I'm not saying just launch out foolishly. But when God's word directs you and his spirit leads you and challenges you to do something by faith, take that step, even if it's unknown. You see, if these leaders in Ephesus were going to continue on with any effectiveness to carry on the ministry there, they needed to be willing to walk in the spirit. They weren't going to be able to say, hey, Paul, what should we do? Paul wasn't going to be there anymore. All he had to rely on now was the Word of God, the Word that Paul had shared with them and the Holy Spirit of God. My friends, a lot of us need to take that next spiritual step too to say, Lord, I'm going to depend on you. A lot of Christians, they get to the point where, well, I can just depend on my church. They'll tell me what to do. As long as I'm doing that, I'll be okay. Well, God wants us to take the next step. It doesn't mean to leave the church, but He wants us to walk in faith with Him. And Lord, I'll do what you want me to do, even if it means stepping out into the unknown. Depend on the Spirit's leading into the unknown, but also depend on the Spirit's leading through difficulty. I mean, often the unknown, in our minds, means it must be hard, right? <laughs> Did you know the unknown isn't always difficult, though? Sometimes it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But when you're walking with God, it's always where He wants you to be, and it's where you want to be. They, he had him step out into difficulty, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. It was like people were coming to Him. 
that the Holy Spirit was laying on their hearts to say, Paul, it's dangerous, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. If you go to Jerusalem, they're going to lock you up. Paul says, I have to go. I'm bound in the Spirit to go. If we try to live our life in service to God without depending on the Spirit of God, we will not accomplish anything for Christ. You may live a good life that other people look at and say, wow, that's impressive. Look what they did. But it won't have any lasting impact for God. It has to be done in the Spirit's power. And finally this morning, you've listened well. Paul clearly knew his job. He knew his master. He had a consistent manner, consistent method. He depended on the Spirit of God, but he was clear on what his job was and within what his job was, what success looked like. Have you ever been given a job, but you weren't really told what you're supposed to do with that job? I've had a few of those. Sometimes pastoring can be a little bit like that. Well, you're the pastor. You make the decision. I don't know. <laughs> Why does becoming the pastor mean you're supposed to be the expert on everything? I, I'm not an expert on much of anything. Well, you're the pastor. You make the decision. So you find yourself in those kind of situations. But, you know, it even starts really little. Like when we told our kids, hey, you need to make your bed every day. That's on their chore chart that they have to do. You know what we spent a lot of time doing? Showing them how to make their bed. So they knew what a made bed looked like. They knew how to be successful at the job that we had given for them to do. I think there's a lot of Christians that may have sort of a fuzzy idea of what their job is, but don't really know how to be successful at it or don't know what success looks like. So they end up chasing a lot of random stuff. This happens to pastors too. Talk to friends and it's just sort of like, the, the flavor of the month, you know. Well, they did that. Well, let's do that. Well, let's do that. They're always running around this way and that way because they're not really clear on what their job is and what success looks like. I'm not saying I got the corner on the market. No, the truth is right here in God's Word, and it's really clear. We need to know our job. What was his job? Paul talks about it here, verse 24. He says, none of these things move me. I'm not moved by the unknown. I'm not moved by the persecution. I'm not moved by the temptation. I'm not moved by those lying in wait. He says, my own life isn't even important anymore. He said, I want to finish my course with joy and the ministry, he said, which I've received of the Lord. Again, he reiterates, he knew who his master was. This ministry they've been given, have been given to him by God. My friend, if God has called you to do something, don't doubt in the night, right, what he's given you in the light. When he said, this is what I want you to do, when he's shown you clearly from his word, this is where you need to go, then step out by faith and trust God, knowing whom you received it by. He received it of the Lord Jesus. He also knew his message. He said to testify the gospel of the grace of God. But then in verse 25, 26, 27, he talks about what success in this ministry looks like. He says, And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, you'll see my face no for, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. How could Paul say that? He must be really confident that he'd been successful 
in his ministry there. And then he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Do you know what success looks like in the ministry? Clearly Paul did. And that's a strong statement to say, right? Could you say, I am pure from the blood of all men? How was Paul able to do this? I think he had a clear understanding of what success looked like, and, and then he knew how to accomplish that. If you're ever given a job to do, but you don't, aren't given the tools to accomplish the job, it's kind of frustrating, isn't it? If you're ever given a job to do, but not given the instruction necessary to complete the job, it's kind of frustrating. If you're ever given a job to do and you think you're doing it and you get done and someone says, no, you didn't do it, you did the wrong thing. Oh, that's really frustrating. I heard a great quote this week from William Carey, the missionary to India. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. He said, I'm, I'm afraid of succeeding at the wrong things. Somebody compared it this way to like in life, we're all climbing a ladder step by step, every place, and we're getting higher and higher. But someday, some people are going to get up to the top of their ladder feeling like they've reached the pinnacle and they'll look around and realize their ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And they look around. And they've worked hard. They've given everything. But it was worthless. Paul here, and he, he talks about this in other places in the New Testament, but he's really clear on what is success and how to gain it. His success is clear. He says he faithfully declared the truth to all men. That's how he could be pure from the blood of all men. He just shared Christ wherever he went. You can't die for somebody's sin. Christ has already done that. You're a sinner, so you couldn't do it anyway if you wanted to. But are you faithful to share the truth of Christ? What a thought. Paul's not measuring success by the number of people that came to church. He's not measuring success by... How much comes in the offering plate? He's not measuring success by the number of churches planted. He's not measuring success by any of sort of the human metrics that we want to put on things. He's not putting success on like how comfortable his life was. Or that now his house is paid for. He didn't even have a house. How do you measure success in your life? Paul says, I'm pure from the blood of all men. And he gives a second part of this. Verse 27, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In other words, not only did he faithfully declare the truth to all men, he was faithful to declare the whole counsel of God to these men, to others. In other words, he wasn't just sharing what was comfortable, what was easy. He wasn't avoiding the hard questions. He said, I've, I shared with you as best I knew how the whole counsel of God. Paul knew his job. 
He knew what, who his master was. He knew what success looked like. And I wonder, my friend today, do you know those things for your life? Or do you find yourself sort of drifting, wandering sometimes? Maybe struggled and discouraged because the things you're trying to attain to just aren't fulfilling like you think that they should. Maybe you're looking around saying, I wish some others would come along with me. I wish my family, I wish my friends, I wish I could do more. Are you doing the right things? See, often we get focused on, well, can I get more people? Can I, whatever, in ministry, we, we just want it to show for others. But that's not what Paul was focused on. He just said, I've declared the truth. I've been faithful to share the whole counsel of God. But see, what he did with people and what is clear right here, who he's talking to, these Ephesian elders, he was careful to make disciples. He was passing that truth down to somebody else. He wasn't just yelling it out in the world and just walking away. No, he, these are people he's been bringing along with him for years. He's really taking and understanding the principle of multiplication as it works out itself in the Great Commission if we're faithful to make disciples who then make other disciples and teach others also. You know, multiplication is a principle found throughout nature. It's found out throughout God's creation, and it's found throughout Scripture. Multiplication takes place when sheep have babies, when wildlife uh, reproduce, when flowers, or even bacteria. Oh, you know about that kind of multiplication. Every growing thing operates on the principle of multiplication. In fact, God's first command to mankind in Genesis 1 verse 28 was to be fruitful and multiply. I think that's about the only command of God that people have been faithful to, to keep. But you know, that's what He wants us to do spiritually too. Numerically, it's very simple, right? If two parents have two children, then they just maintain the status quo. But when parents have three or more children, then the population begins to multiply. The more children, the faster the multiplication process. Now, there's a certain cost in multiplication. Every parent knows this, that reproduction is costly. The more children you have, the more it costs you to raise them. There's more interpersonal relationships to cope with in the family unit. There's more decisions to be made. There's a greater chance for disease to strike a member of the family. There's even a greater chance for heartache or disappointment in one form or another. Certainly, more children take more time. In nature, for the fish, the salmon, the cost of multiplication is death. The salmon swims up the river, lays her eggs in the sand, and then dies. Grain also dies in order to reproduce. Jesus talked about this in John 12, 24. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
the cost involved in spiritual multiplication. As Paul was working to bring about there in Ephesus, the cost involved in spiritual multiplication can also be seen in the fact that it is initially slower than the process of addition. This is particularly important when you think about applying it to the Great Commission work that God's called us to do. Let's say, for example, that there was a gifted evangelist that was able to lead a thousand people to Christ every day for a year. How many people would that be who had come to Christ? 365,000, right? You say, well, I'm not a gifted evangelist. I'm not even much of an evangelist. But God has called every one of us to make disciples, to be a disciple maker. So let's just say, while that evangelist was busy leading a thousand people to Christ every day, his offering plates would be full. He would probably be flying in a jet pretty soon, you know, because he had so many people to lead to Christ. But let's say you just went and you led one person to Christ and began to disciple them. At the end of this year, you, plus that other one, that'd be two. This other hypothetical evangelist would have 365,000. Who's doing a better job? Well, humanly speaking, he is. And let's even, and even for sake of argument, let's say these people are genuinely trusting Christ. Okay? But then we go to year two. And let's say that you continue to be faithful to try to share Christ and you led someone else to Christ next year, but you help the person that you led to Christ this year to lead one of their friends to Christ too. So at the end of next year, year two has become four. We see multiplication, right? Now that evangelist, he's still busy. God's still blessing. He's had another 365,000 to add to his 365,000 from this year. But if we were to continue this process out, I'm trying to show you the power of multiplication. In 24 years, if you were faithful to multiply yourself by one every year, and you were to help those who multiplied other, and that evangelist reached 365,000 people a year for 24 years, at the 24-year mark, you would actually cross as far as numerical success, if you want to measure by numbers. And in fact, even if he had dozens of other evangelists also leading a thousand people to Christ every day, every year, they would never be able to catch up numerically with the work that you're doing. That's the power of multiplication. But it's easy sometimes, as it might have been for Paul or these elders in Ephesus, to look at all the struggle, to look at all the people who didn't want to hear the truth, to say, well, Maybe we need to figure out a better way to measure success. If we can just get people to raise their hand or get people to sign a card, maybe that'll prove. No. The answer is making disciples who make disciples. And that's what Paul's trying to pass down to this church in Ephesus. You're going to see it even in greater clarity next week. He's highlighting his example. His ministry was not flashy. It wasn't because Paul had great power in himself. In fact, he often struggled some with his words. It wasn't because he was perfect, because we even read of times when Paul lost his temper. But Paul knew who his master was. Paul was 
consistent in his manner. He was consistent in his method. His message was clear. He depended on the Holy Spirit, and he knew what his job was. As a church, I don't want us to get caught up chasing the wrong things. I don't want you as an individual to spend your life and climbing that ladder just to get to the top and say, I'm at the top, but I'm, at the, I'm on the wrong ladder. I went the wrong direction. I was successful, but I succeeded at something that didn't matter. If we're going to serve together on purpose, we have to be really clear on these things. I'm afraid for many Christians, it's, it's, this is fuzzy stuff in their thinking. So here's what I want to do with each of you. I want to be clear in the message that I preach, a clear gospel. I want to be clear in trying to lay out for our church, here's the steps to succeeding the way God wants us to succeed. But I would challenge you, just as an individual, whatever part God has put you in this body, even if you're brand new, been here a long time, just visiting, whoever, I would challenge you in your own life before God to make sure you know who your master is. Is it the Lord or have you let something else kind of come in and it's kind of dictating what you do? Have you ever trusted in Christ as your Savior? Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. He says, Brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. Guys, this isn't hard. It's not complicated. It's what God would expect of us. It's reasonable because of what He's done for us. Know your Master. Know what your job is. And make sure you know before the word, with the Word of God, before the Spirit of God, know what success looks like. Time is short. Christ is coming back soon. Our world is just broken and tearing itself apart. Fretting about it isn't going to fix anything. Being afraid isn't going to help anybody. Running around telling people what to do isn't going to help them either. But pointing people to Jesus, as you live a life of Christ-likeness, Jesus can change their life. And that's not just a change for today, that's for eternity. Lord, help us. Help us. By His strength. What does He say? Not by might, nor by power by my spirit saith the Lord when I as I've thought about this all week and just been meditating on this passage I just felt this like really heavy burden about these things oh how are we ever going to do it and then I'm writing wait a minute I'm forgetting who's my master what's my job what success look like I have the Holy Spirit of God at the end of the day, God just called me to be faithful to Him and to His Word. And we'll let Him save people. I never saved anybody. 
except as a lifeguard, pull them out of the pool. But I mean, like save their soul from hell. But God can do it. Let's join together. Serve Him on purpose. Let's see what God will do. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We need you. This is heavy stuff, at least for me to think about. I think for many here this morning. Lord, just as I've sensed kind of a heaviness in our room today, Lord, we've sung in joyful gladness and praise to you. But Lord, these are hard things to think about. Our world is a mess. And many Christians, it's caused lots of questions, fears, doubts. Lord, help us this morning renew our focus on you. Refresh our minds on where we're going and what we're doing. Maybe this today be a time where we say, All right, Lord, I, I, I've wasted some time. I've, I, I got busy with some other things. But Lord, I'm committing to you to walk with you. But I can't do this. Lord, give me your strength by your spirit to follow you. Help us today to follow him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I, I believe it'd be appropriate if God has spoken to your heart this morning to just come and kneel at the altar up front here to kneel and just give it to the Lord to confess the sin maybe that God has shown you in your heart to recommit to Him an area of service to the Lord. Maybe the Lord's just encouraged your heart this morning and you just want to thank Him for what He's done. Would you come? Would you give it to the Lord today? Summer coming, would you come? Follow Him. I'm not trying to measure the people down front here by as a success thing either. That, that's silly. But I do believe when you put some physical action to the spiritual work that God's doing in your heart, it does help you if you'll be serious about following through with it. Don't do anything for me. Do what the Lord wants you to do. Talk to Him.